What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. My topic today with guest Dr. Stephen Shine is A New Psychology for Sustainability Leadership, and that is the title of a book that he has written. Um, Dr. Shine is a sustainability leadership educator, a researcher, a consultant who spent more than 25 years in the corporate world, a decade in academia, and I think what I love best about his work is he's really bringing together business, ecology, and so much more through the work that he's doing. He sees the evolution of business leadership and education toward ecological sustainability as a global imperative, really a critical next step for our society um, in order to address the issues of, of sustainability that all of us are keenly aware of. Welcome to the show this morning, Dr. Shine. Thank you so much, Kate. Great to be with you. Well, I am. I mentioned to you as we were getting getting prepared for our show today that um, I have read your book and I want to begin this show by recommending this book to anyone who's listening to the show today. I think that one of the things I've come to appreciate, um, Steve, in my work with um, with Inside Transformational Leadership, the radio show, but also more broadly looking at the kind of leadership needed today in the world is that we need new ways of thinking about leadership. We need new ways of preparing ourselves and our next generations to really meet the challenges of our day. And certainly um, there won't be a future if we don't find a way to um, really bring action and uh, a new mindset to, to the topics of global sustainability. I want to begin by asking you to just um, tell us a little bit about um, this idea that you have uh, talked about and written about so much, which is the idea of an ecological worldview. What does that mean? Sure. Uh, what I became very curious about and researched was this uh, collection, really, of research that's out there in the social sciences uh, from different fields that, for the most part, have not been applied to sustainability leadership in any scale. And this has to do with how we think, primarily, as opposed to what we do. And in particular, it draws on developmental psychology and integral ecology and eco-psychology, which are fields that often when I speak, people have not, uh, are not familiar with or have not even heard of in some cases. And what ecological worldviews mean is basically the capacity to think in a way that understands our relationships with Earth's ecosystems and see ourselves as really part of those systems. Uh, it also has to do with uh, thinking over longer time horizons and being able to uh, be aware of our context, uh, consistently ask questions and be an inquiry, an observation about what's happening. And then it also gets into uh, issues of, in psychology, what we talk about is identity. And when we wake up in the morning, do we identify ourselves as a member of Earth's community? And so all those things go into what I, what I characterize as an ecological worldview with the idea that 
that type of thinking can drive deeper, more courageous action in terms of sustainability leadership. Thank you. And, you know, you, you contrast um, this ecological mindset with an anthropomorphic mindset. I <laughs> yes, the big word. Here, the big word. Can you just tell us about that for a moment so that we can understand the shift that you're really calling for? Sure. Uh, there's been a lot of writing and thinking, especially in the last uh, 50 years, going back to an essay that a philosopher named Lynn White wrote in 1967 called The Roots of Our Ecological Crisis. And in the 1970s, uh, philosophers from deep ecology like Arne Nace in Norway and a group of uh, human ecologists here in the United States uh, started to write about deep ecology versus shallow ecology or an ecocentric worldview versus an anthropocentric worldview. And I think, uh, although it's a very big piece of the puzzle, what I've come to believe is there's this continuum, and it's not really a, a, a binary of, of that's so black or white, but the more we see ourselves as embedded in ecological systems, which is more towards the ecocentric way of seeing our uh, role as human beings on the earth, the more we can make uh, appropriate decisions to uh, harmonize our actions with those natural systems, in particular with these large business organizations. Um, and then there's a big interesting debate in both uh, the natural sciences and in uh, among religious scholars in terms of interpretation of different writing about anthropocentric versus ecocentric. But from my standpoint, I think the key is this idea of, of seeing our relationship to Earth's ecosystems fully, and then making decisions on our uh, global organizations to align with, with what will uh, maintain these healthy ecosystems that we depend on uh, for life. You know, we've jumped right in with really uh, beginning to uh, articulate for our listeners some distinctions about the ecological mindset versus um, a more sort of human-centric way of experiencing life. And I want to take a moment, Steve, before we go even more deeply into this topic to ask if you would mind sharing with our listening audience your journey, how you became someone who's really uh, contributing to the frontier of our understanding of this concept of ecological mindset. What, what was your path to this work? Sure, it's... it's uh it's been unfolding uh, what my understanding of that is, and it, it interweaves with the research. Uh, but I, I guess I describe it in two phases. One is an understanding of my earlier life and, and uh, where I grew up and uh, how I was fortunate to uh, spend a good part of my early life, say under 10 years old, really uh, immersed. I, I grew up in the hardwood forest of northern New Jersey, which despite a lot of people's common perceptions was uh, a big old growth forest in the 1960s where I could, uh, you know, we were the first house on a first street and a first uh, subdivision. So there were no houses for miles in all directions. And I could literally hike out the back door uh, and uh, walk down into a mossy glen where under every rock was a salamander and bullfrogs and box turtles and uh, butterflies everywhere and, and fireflies at night and, 
and thinking back to that time, I think, has something to do with, with what led me to this uh, research and teaching sustainability and, and thinking about an ecological worldview. But the more recent uh, chapter really opened when I moved on to 10 acres in southern Oregon and started growing food and studying permaculture with a series of teachers that uh, kind of really uh, began my understanding of why sustainability, you know, I thought was going to be limited in terms of our capacity to, to really lead to the type of deeper uh, change that we need to, to see happen. And, and so that was about 10 years ago. And that led to uh, applying these concepts of permaculture and our understanding of, of how nature really works uh, to sustainability leadership. And you know what occurs to me as I as I've become familiar with your work is um, how you created a bridge between the sustainability movement or the green movement and business. And it's not that others haven't also um, made the connection, some of the connections made. But I think that um, Steve, as I as I read your work and think about what you're really saying, you've taken. You know, you've gone deeper to really look at not only sort of this idea of a movement and a behavior change needed from human beings, but actually um, making this connection to business and looking specifically at this fairly new position that's been found in organizations, you know, being created in organizations called a chief sustainability officer or a leader. And 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 I love to um, I'd love to have you talk for a moment about how you got interested in, you know, not just, um, you know, not just the permaculture itself, but actually the people who have the potential to be change agents in the business world. Uh, thanks, Kate. The, uh, you know, I'm kind of a strange hybrid in that I spent 25 years in the corporate world and 10 in academia. And all along when I was teaching, beginning to teach sustainability, uh, I wanted to know more about what was actually happening in the business world. And it started, I guess, uh, I started attending conferences that are out there that are really more for corporate executives uh, and meeting a lot of these executives. And, and fortunately, here on the West Coast, we have a number of, of uh, organizations that put on these conferences and a lot of the sustainability executives attend and speak. And I was able to start getting a sense of what was actually happening in multinational corporations in particular. And the, the interesting part for me was I started my career as a CPA and an international auditor, uh, actually with Arthur Young, what's now Ernst & Young, and then Nabisco Brands, which has gone through many changes since the 80s. And I, I kind of knew what the corporate world was like back in the 80s and 90s. And, and we knew uh, almost nothing about what we know today in terms of how to measure our environmental impacts all these new ways to understand what the impacts are through life cycle analysis and and solid waste to land tons of solid waste to landfill and tons of greenhouse gas emissions and and gallons of water consumed so there was all this new information that that corporations were gathering to then try to make different decisions about how their products were designed and so it it kind of emerged all together uh, where I met a lot of the executives, was able to ask questions, hear their presentations, and then bring that back to the classroom. Uh, 
in terms of, of looking at uh, sustainability in the corporate world. Uh, but a little bit, if I may, back to your question, students were still really skeptical and, and still are. People often, uh, you know, still have the uh, perception that corporations as a whole are, are purely motivated by the bottom line. And, and that's true, I think, to, still to, to a large extent. But what I was looking for is a, a more detailed understanding of, of, of the executives in these corporations that were responsible for these types of initiatives around sustainability. And I wanted to get a sense on what their, their stories were who they were, where they came from, and, and what their motivations were. And so that's what really led to the research in the book was this uh, uh, interest in their background so that I could provide maybe a more complete picture of what was happening uh, at these senior levels of multinationals as it relates to sustainability. Thank you. And, and I, I think that, that um, yeah, that's interesting to me too is, is to look at the the work that people are doing and the data that they're tracking and the um, process improvements that they're making and all of that is great. But to ask the question, um, what are the motivations and the values and you know, re- uh, that really are guiding the people who are leading these initiatives? And, and it, you know, as the mother of two college kids who are trying to figure out their majors, it reminds me, <laughs> of, you know, the, the question of, you know, um, if you wanted to be a chief sustainability officer someday, what would be the way to get there? What kinds of experiences or, or worldview should one cultivate? Well, first, I, I wish you uh, uh, great uh, success with your two college kids. I have three, <laughs> three of them myself, one graduating nursing school next week. Wow. Uh, and uh, it is really, I think, it is really more complicated, I think, for college uh, students these days because they're so much more aware uh, than certainly I'll speak for myself than I was uh, coming out of college in terms of how the world works and what the challenges are and as we know the <clears throat> the economy has changed greatly and company there's all this kind of fluidity and so I think sustainability is this amazing interdisciplinary field that uh, hopefully will capture more and more uh, young uh, students that are kind of considering how their careers uh, can evolve, and so part of what I what I have found uh, is that you know I don't think higher education is completely caught up. That there's a handful of really progressive programs around the country, most of them in graduate programs, that are pulling together all these different disciplines uh, to create what I would call the next generation of sustainability leaders. But unfortunately, a lot of universities uh, are still in that more siloed way of thinking. And so students have to kind of try to put it together, uh, you know, through mixing and matching classes as opposed to having a really cohesive uh, curriculum that brings together uh, all these different disciplines that are all have a piece of the solution and a piece of the puzzle and a piece of what uh, a 20 year old needs to understand to become a chief sustainability officer. Uh, what I would say is that uh, it is a mix of social sciences and natural sciences. You know, I think we've relied too heavily on the natural sciences over the last couple of decades in the sustainability movement as change agents to, to really uh, advance the, uh, the change. Uh, and 
I think the social sciences, in particular psychology, developmental psychology, uh, and this field of integral ecology, which is relatively under or is hardly at all present in undergraduate universities, but coincidentally is is kind of a big topic today because that's what Pope Francis wrote about in his environmental encyclical. And so integral ecology is getting a lot of attention now, and I'm hoping that uh, maybe not in time for your kids, Kate, but in the not-too-distant future that there'll be kind of this flourishing of integral ecology curriculum in universities. Kate? Yes, thank you very much. I think that was a great answer, and we're going to be taking a break in just a minute, Steve. And, uh, you know, I, you were referring to some of the fields that you have looked to to develop your thoughts about um, the ecological perspective. And I know that, just to name them, I know that there are eight. Um, can you go, can you name them, or shall I? <laughs> uh, I'd be happy if you would. Okay, I have eco-psychology deep ecology, which you just mentioned, um, ecological economics, social psychology, environmental sociology, indigenous studies, which is very interesting, and integral ecology. And I think that's, I think that's at least seven of the eight. Um, that's enough big words for, for anybody in this lifetime. I think you're right. And, you know, we're, we're heading into a break, but I think the reason I wanted to really call those out for our listeners is because... Um, of the inter interconnection, as you said, between the social sciences and the natural sciences, as a as a new way of thinking about how we uh, prepare ourselves uh, for the future. This is Kate Ebner, my guest today, Dr. Stephen Shine, and we'll be right back after this break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back. Um, today my guest is Dr. Stephen Shine, and we're talking about his work, um, particularly his published work, A New Psychology for Sustainability Leadership. Uh, we've been talking about, um, the, you know, sort of the multidisciplines that this, uh, this mindset draws upon, and we've even been talking about how do you prepare to become a chief sustainability officer, which is a position that was first introduced in, I think, 2004, and now, 11 years later, we're really seeing um, many, many multinational corporations have appointed um, chief sustainability officers, and so um, enter Steve Shine, who's been really looking at the role these folks are playing and how they can help us to connect business and the need for uh, sustainability and really looking at business as a vehicle for for significant uh, environmental improvement and change. So we've been talking, we're going to talk a lot more about these topics, but I wanted to go back, Steve, to a comment that you made right before the break about the stance that um, Pope Francis has taken about the environment and the impact that that is having in terms of bringing people's attention and focus to these very topics. Could you tell us more about about this from how you see it? Sure. Thanks, Kate. Uh, it's, I think, been a, a uh, very significant event for almost all of us in the environmental and sustainability movement because Pope Francis has kind of uh, set the table for this, I think, deeper conversation. And although most of the attention is out there on kind of the political implications uh, leading up to the climate negotiations in Paris in December and, and his visit here in the United States in September to a joint sensitive Congress and the White House and the, and the United Nations. And in particular, you know, for instance, Friday, the, a letter came out from the United Nations Global Compact, which is the world's largest corporate sustainability network with over 8,500 uh, companies involved. Uh, really pointing towards the encyclical as a way to really accelerate these practical efforts that are already underway, you know, to mobilize responsible business. And, and we're also, uh, when I say we, the, the world body at the UN is, is uh, ratifying the new set of sustainable development goals here in September. Uh, there's a group of CEOs attending this private sector forum. And a lot of it is very energized around the encyclical. Uh, Having said all that, what I think a lot of people may be missing, uh, or at least not focusing on at scale, is the, the, the core of the encyclical is, is about integral ecology. It's the title of chapter four. Chapter three is the psychological roots of the environmental crisis. And from a business professor sustainability education standpoint, I see Pope Francis as really the great sustainability professor uh, right now, in that he explains in very detail what an ecological worldview looks like, 
Um, and and so I encourage folks to look at, in particular, the middle of the encyclical, chapter four, and uh, each of those disciplines that you mentioned before the break, Kate, are really the subject of of the encyclical. Uh, if I may, I, I could offer another um, quick story. Is that for years in in my sustainability classes, I've used an essay that Michael Pollan wrote back in 2008 before the presidential election uh, called The Farmer-in-Chief. And he published that in the New York Times and really in that essay he made all these connections between our our large-scale industrial agricultural policy, uh, our healthcare system, our energy system, uh, our financial sector and and to me it's still one of the best ways out there to kind of understand systems thinking and how all these uh, systems are interconnected. And what's interesting is the Pope uh, talks about all of these uh, interconnections in the encyclical. You know, he says things like, although we're not aware of it, we depend on these larger systems for our own existence. We need to only recall how ecosystems interact. And he describes the, the ecological. He also talks about an economic ecology. He says, uh, we need a new economic ecology capable of appealing to a broader vision of reality and and goes on to really point at ecological economics uh, and human development. And so it's from from our standpoint in the social sciences, those of us that have been uh, studying this for for some time, it's very exciting to have this now out as a uh, invitation for people to kind of consider how this can advance. And, and break some of these conflicts that have been happening for a long time. You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about um, the implications of the Pope taking this stand, specifically as a spirit, you know, as he is a spiritual leader who's um, speaking for the environment. You know, can you say something about that? Uh, it's very moving. Uh, the the depth of what I feel from his words uh, to me is the essence of of this um, opportunity to 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 feel our interconnection with nature. He he writes about the Amazon as the lungs for the earth and um, connects it to what I think is a a capacity that's inside each of us. I think there is a part of us that that knows we are uh, part of nature and and dependent on nature, and unfortunately, I think it is our long-standing education system and and really culture that uh, doesn't uh, necessarily support this. And so, in some cases, uh, a lot of us kind of feel this maybe early in our lives and. And then it's it's kind of socialized out of us and 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 buried, and and I think the uh, interesting part is that I sense that this is part of what I uncovered in asking these sustainability leaders on you know where their deeper motivation comes from, and yet we all know that it takes some courage and it's it's risky in the corporate world or in, in academia to talk about this. You know, this has to do with with our deeper feelings, with our fears, with our 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 uh, 
you know, parts that we just don't have a lot of opportunity, I think, in higher education or in the corporate world to acknowledge. And so I, I think underneath all of the political implications of the encyclical is also a, a very wonderful um, a big implication for education and culture as it relates to our, our psychology. It really, um, it really, I love what you said a moment ago about how we are close and connected when we're young and as we become socialized in the world, we lose, um, I suppose we lose connection in some, sometimes, but we also lose um, a forum for talking about an experience, you know, our experiences in this way. And I wanted to ask you if you would share the, um, if you would share a little bit more about the, the five life experiences you've identified that really shape the, an ecological worldview. Sure. Uh, and I think there's more. Uh, and I, I've, uh, the fun part about being out there talking about the ideas in the book now and hearing people reflect back is, is I'm beginning to kind of create the next iteration mm-hmm. of of what this looks like and and maybe you know you you might even have some uh, thoughts on that as well that I'd love to hear. Uh, but the the five that I identified uh, initially in the book, the first is what we've we been talking about. I think is that a lot of people when you ask them and give them an opportunity to slow down a bit and reflect, they point towards their early life and how they grew up and where they grew up and what and their families. Are, and, and that, I think, is common sense and yet uh, uh, extremely valuable and important for us to acknowledge. Uh, the second one has to do with uh, education. And a lot of them talked about outdoor education or specific teachers or mentors they had. Uh, you know, for instance, one executive talked about growing up in the New York area and going out on the Hudson River on Pete Seeger's boat, boat the Clearwater, and seeing all this trash in the river and, and singing songs. And, and that experience stuck with him. And, and when he thought about how he ended up uh, in his 40s as a, as a sustainability executive, you know, he could recognize that that had something to do with, with uh, his deeper motivation. Uh, the uh, third uh, has to do with travel, and a lot of uh, these sustainability executives uh, had the opportunity to travel either as undergraduates or in graduate school or in gap years type of activities in developing countries, and that was kind of the first time that they really saw uh, environmental degradation on a large scale and made the connections with, with poverty and and social issues and and so there was a a number of executives that talked about different experiences in central or south america or in africa uh that affected them uh the fourth which was uh i'd say the biggest surprise and and continues to i think be very relevant and for for instance you mentioned your kids and and what kind of career paths they can take and and the fourth had to do with that a lot of these sustainability executives in the private sector had uh, been part of environmental NGOs for often as long as a decade, or they had worked in the public sector. And they came from majors in college like political science or uh, environmental studies. And then they worked in the public sector, uh, either in the federal government or the state government for some period of time. Several of them worked for environmental nonprofits. And then they uh, made a conscious decision that they could uh, affect change at a larger scale uh, in the private sector. 
and 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 in some cases since I've interviewed them they've moved back into the public sector or in the uh, nonprofit sector at, at organizations like World Wildlife Fund or the Nature Conservancy and while there's a a uh, series of questions that come up when you think about uh, that you know my sense of it as it relates to an ecological worldview and motivation is that these are all now uh, the boundaries are, are less clear than they used to be and that collaboration among uh, those three sectors, what we call tri-sector collaboration, uh, now kind of in the corporate social responsibility sphere, uh, that's where it has to happen. You have to have a critical mass of, of, of leaders in all three of those sectors that are actually at the table together, solving problems around the world together uh, to really uh, have longer lasting and, and more systemic change. Uh, so I'm sorry, that was the fourth uh, significant life experience that I talk about. Uh, and then the fifth has to do with kind of where we were talking about with Pope Francis just now, is that a number of the executives really talked about kind of this more spiritual uh, part of their job now and that they really felt very lucky and satisfied and that they had a chance to work on these issues that maybe part of their uh, uh, really early life uh, in terms of their spirituality, their religion, uh, and that, you know, what I call an intrinsic value of nature. Uh, and so that a, a, was a really interesting one that I, I really look forward to kind of now circling back and talking about more. And in fact, we are in those conversations now, uh, even over Twitter. It's, it's over the weekend kind of having Twitter conversations with senior executives and companies about Pope Francis and how this is kind of inviting a uh, new type of conversation about sustainability leadership. So those are the five. Thank you. And, and um, I'll say them back for those of you listening who would love to just um, maybe even jot them down. The first was early childhood experiences in nature. The second was memorable teachers and mentors in environmental education. Um, seeing poverty and environmental degradation in developing countries, having a really a firsthand experience. Um, the perception of capitalism as a vehicle for environmental or social activism, which is really intriguing, and then finally a sense of spirituality and service. And these are the these are just five of what we know to be actually probably a longer list of um, elements that shape that ecological worldview that certainly Pope Francis is sharing, and that uh, we're working to cultivate amongst um, you know in our time. I'll just say. Um, you know, you have a quote in your book, um, the green movement's not a movement to save nature, it's a movement to save the human race. And this is Margaret Atwood, and I'm paraphrasing, I think, but the the shift that I'm really, really hearing you talk so much about is um, this, the shift from um, thinking of ourselves as other than nature, or in control of nature, to really seeing ourselves as of nature, a part of it, embedded in it, and um, contributing, uh, stewarding, but also being greatly affected by what happens in the world around us, the natural world. And so, you know, this is as much as we need to focus on sustainability um, with the idea that we're doing the right thing for, for the planet it's actually really making the connection that it's not about the planet as separate from us. It's actually about um, 
us and the planet. You know, the idea of the rainforest as the lung of the planet, and we need that oxygen, and we're greatly affected by what happens in the in this natural world. Um, and I, I, I wanted to just ask another question um, about uh, what you describe as the indigenous worldview, and how the indigenous worldview contributes. Um, to this mindset as well. Sure, uh, this is a really big, big topic, and and often is really confined to kind of minors in select colleges and in certain universities, kind of cultural anthropology, and and I think uh, first this is really hard. You know, it's it's really hard. Someone has to have a lot of courage and intention to to kind of step out of the mainstream or, or at least kind of consider the value of this type of, of thinking and, and feel something stirring inside. And, and so when we look for how to do this, uh, the indigenous cultures around the world for tens of thousands of years, but certainly uh, <clears throat> in recent history, uh, have been continually offering ways for that kind of can invoke that. Uh, are we okay, Kate? We are. We just, yeah. I think, lost you for a second. But you okay. know what? We're going to be taking a break here, Steve. So maybe what we'll do is we'll take that break, and when we come back, we'll let you finish your sentence. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm not sure what happened. Sorry about that. No problem. These things happen. Um, for those of you who are listening, this is Inside Transformational Leadership. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today, Dr. Stephen Shine, and we're exploring uh, this topic of ecological worldview and this new psychology for sustainability leadership. Uh, when we come back from the break, we will continue the discussion about um, how indigenous worldview contributes to uh, the future. And also, I think I'd love to talk, Steve, about uh, the work you've done on how sustainability leaders think and do a little bit more with that and perhaps um, continue to explore Pope Francis. So um, all that said, we'll be back right after this break. Markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000.
markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. I'm here today with Dr. Stephen Shine. We're talking about um, the ecological worldview, and we were exploring right before the break an indigenous worldview and how that is one of the contributors to um, the development of sustainability leadership. And Steve, you were about to give me a a great answer, I know, to my question about this. Um, What is an indigenous worldview? You know, in in many ways, it it, uh, from a psychological standpoint, uh, can be equated with an ecological worldview in that some of the principles of an indigenous worldview have to do with uh, understanding your, your local bioregion and, and really on a daily basis observing it and paying attention to it and honoring it. Uh, and so a lot of these traditions in indigenous cultures uh, really support an ecological worldview. Uh, and and the, the, the other big part is it's not just mental or cognitive, but it's physical. And so a lot of these traditions uh, can bring out this capacity that's more uh, emotional and and I think that can drive new new cognitive or mental capacities uh, and for one they're all uh, largely taking place in nature and outside and using uh, Native American drum and dance for instance or oral traditions uh, people feel something different and so bringing uh, MBA or undergraduate business students out into the forest or out into the garden with uh, Native uh, American or indigenous teachers and allowing them to experience that you know, with their other senses, uh, I think makes it a bigger impression than just reading about it or talking about it. Um, and the interesting part is eco-psychologists and deep ecologists and integral ecologists have been onto this for some time. There's this uh, wonderful body of research out there of, for instance, ecotherapists. Uh, we have a, a large number of folks in clinical psychology, especially out here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, that use different indigenous practices as a mode of healing. Uh, for people. And so that also, I think, has relevance for sustainability leadership uh, to uh, cultivate an ecological worldview. Thank you very much. You know, I had this experience once that what you've just said reminds me of it, where, you know, my my own company is called the Nebo Company, and it's a reference to a lake in the Adirondacks, Lake Nebo. And I, it's a place I love and feel deeply at peace and I had this realization that 
when we ask people, uh, we, in, we often interview people and ask them, where is your Nebo or what is your Nebo? And yeah. people will tell us, oh, it's the Outer Banks or, oh, it's this yeah. little place, like you said, yeah. the deep woods of New Jersey. And, and suddenly I realized that the whole world is held in love by people. People love different places all over the world and have a deep sense of connection, not only to that place, but actually to themselves when in that place. And so... I'm rem- I'm just I'm reminded of how this um, connection to the self and connection to place combine to really uh, contribute. I think to this ecological worldview. Yeah, that's great. I'd love to to hear more about that. I think um, uh, you know a fascinating part about also <clears throat> indigenous languages is embedded in those languages are references to specific. Uh, geological or natural formation. So you and I might be having a conversation and we would be referring to the place where the water goes over the rocks and, and this would be a shared understanding of our entire culture in a, re- a bioregion. So it would, would have this um, capacity to, I think, hold us with this deeper psychology about sustainability and, and ecology as opposed to kind of being disconnected from it. Uh, and so there's just a lot there, I think, that, that potentially can be uh, captured in kind of cultivating this uh, psychology for sustainability. Thank you. You know, Steve, you were, you were saying earlier as we, we started to explore sort of what contributes to an ecological worldview, and, and we talked about the five-plus elements of that. But I, I think where we began was talking about the, um, how do we prepare leaders for the future who have this view and and you know how do people who are sustainability leaders think you know what are they thinking about what do they need to be good at and I, as one who develops leaders as you do um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how sustainability leaders think and I know you've done extensive interviewing what did you learn uh, one exciting I guess discovery from the research was that the capacities for what I uh, refer to as post-conventional worldviews in the book that really come out of 50 years of research in developmental psychology align with the way these sustainability executives think. And I try to capture that with a quote from Chris Libri, who's the senior director at Living Progress at Hewlett-Packard and is one of the executives that I interviewed, where he referred to the collaborator-in-chief. And he talked about over his career working in the sustainability field, it, it really forced him to uh, be able to listen and collaborate on a deeper level than ever before and, and, and consistently embrace how much he does not know and how we're continually learning. Uh, and, and this is interesting because the the field of developmental psychology, I think, tells us a lot, not only what it looks like, but also how to, how to cultivate it. Uh, and so the, the capacities of post-conventional or collaborative worldviews have to do with the ability in real time, even under you know, all the short-term economic stress of, of all our deadlines and, and monthly and quarterly earnings, to be able to hold this longer time horizon to be uh, aware of kind of the potentially unintended consequences of our actions and, and, and think 
uh, in, in actual real time as we're making decisions and interacting in all these meetings and, and, and conference rooms uh, to uh, not be too short-sighted in our decision-making. And it, this takes tremendous uh, skill to deal with this still dominant short-term economic paradigm of, you know, it's all about delivering the short-term results uh, that we still have not completely or not even close uh, built into the system, uh, you know, really the, the natural capital and, and, and ecological economics. And it's still kind of on the, the periphery, although there is, uh, when you start, looking uh, at some of the reporting and what's happening there is this growing subset of companies and and projects within these companies that are operating this way now uh, and so the collaborator in chief is one way to kind of think about the way sustainability executives think I like that a lot and I think that that's so consistent with what we have learned about transformational leadership that transformational leaders um, learn how to and are capable of collaboration. And I've often noticed, Steve, that um, words like partnership and collaboration, they sound so good and so friendly, but they're actually fairly challenging to do well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in other words, you have, there's a, it has to be a commitment to really listening and really being open and really sharing and building um understanding and, and finding the, the places where action can happen. And I, I, I love this idea of collaborator-in-chief. I think that it also speaks to the need for this, this person to be capable of, um, of leading change by, by influencing versus, you know, having sort of command and control uh, of the, the outcomes. Yeah, it's... it's uh, um I, I so respect, I guess, folks that can stay in these, uh, uh, you know, in the line of fire, so to speak, uh, with all these different pressure swirling, and and in some to some extent, really consistently uh, transcend that that temptation, you know, to I think align with a certain side of the argument or a certain team, and that's where this identity concept from psychology is so interesting. If you really are identifying yourself on a deep level with these big sustainability uh, challenges and initiatives, you can keep um, kind of your center of gravity, if you will, to not uh, choose sides and, and keep trying to uh, build bridges and not walls. Um, and so the the, the uh, exciting thing is I think there's a lot of research there that we can draw on uh, that describes these capacities if we can put them more in the center of these leadership models that up till now are still, um, you know, there's tremendous, as you know, from emotional intelligence and servant leadership and, and authentic leadership. There's a lot of different great models that are getting at this kind of more holistic, transparent model. But I think we've not... Uh, uh, come close enough to put in the environmental and the the ecological. Yes, I, I think I think that's a, a great point. Um, you know, for people who are listening today and who would like to follow your work or study with you or learn from you, how can they find you? Uh, so I uh, have a new website, uh, ecologicalworldview.org, which is also gets to steveshine.net. And I'll be posting uh, my uh, 
talks and, and I'm traveling a lot now and speaking at corporations and universities and so I'll be posting there. Uh, I'm also now, surprisingly, over the last uh, six weeks, very involved in social media. And I have a Twitter handle, at SteveShine1, uh, the number one. Uh, and so I'm, I'm realizing that Twitter is a great way to stay in touch with people and have conversations. Uh, and more and more what I'm uh, doing is collaborating with different facilitators and teachers around the country. And even in October, I'll be traveling around in Europe to begin this, this new round of applied uh, workshops, uh, whether they're day-longs or half-day or two days, to embed them into graduate education, uh, executive education, to give uh, students and, and executives and leaders an opportunity to begin to experiment uh, how this might be relevant for their, uh, their work, their uh, education. And so it's really an exciting time of, of uh, working with a lot of really gifted people uh, from these different traditions that, I, uh, that we've been talking about. Well, as, as I have been saying throughout this show, um, I, I think you've, you've done s such a service to us all by helping to connect these ideas and these disciplines to help us understand the mindset that we need to cultivate in ourselves, in our children, in our um, organizational lives um, in order to prepare ourselves to lead the kind of future that um, we see ahead of us. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that everything that I've understood in the recent years about how we are making progress on all of these challenges has to do with the ability to think think systems, to think across systems, to think about systems, and also to think across disciplines. You know, no one discipline has the answer. Um, and, I, and I think you've, you've given us a perspective on, on uh, something called an ecological worldview, um, as well as an understanding to not just think about titles, you know, okay, we have a chief sustainability officer, but actually to look at the person behind that title and, and create more space for the um, values and heart-led discussions that actually can lead to lasting change. Um, so, I know that our our time is up, and Steve, I'm going to give you the last word by asking you if there is any advice or any word of encouragement you'd like to give to our listeners about developing their own ecological worldview. Uh, Kate, it's been such a great conversation. Really, thank you for, for this opportunity. I look forward to the next one. Uh, and I, I think I just would like to... Uh, encourage all of us to recognize that there is uh, a lot of hope and, and there's really great uh, reason to think that we're entering into a new period. I think there is a uh, just a big groundswell happening, uh, in particular around the encyclical and the new uh, uh, deeper conversation and activism that's happening between corporations and political leaders. Uh, here in our country in, in September uh, and then in Europe in, in December. And, and I think the uh, capacity to operate on this level is going to be more and more supported in education and in corporations. Uh, but it does take courage and, and it takes being able to tap into this deeper part of ourselves. And, and so I just honor everyone's intention to, to um, undertake that uh, really courageous journey. I do hope we can do more. It's been a pleasure to have you, Dr. Shine. Kate, it's been really great. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.